Welcome to the Edge Podcast, your home for recruiting news and team analysis inside the Oregon State Beavers football, basketball, and baseball programs. BeaversEdge.com is the authority on all things Oregon State athletics. Now, here's your host, BeaversEdge.com editor, Mike Singer. Good morning, Beaver Nation. Thursday, day after National Signing Day. It's a great day. Uh, to be an Oregon State Beaver football fan. Uh, Mike Singer here, editor of BeaversEdge.com, joined by senior writer Brendan Slaughter. Uh, as we record this Wednesday evening, Brendan, why don't you tell our listeners where you're sitting right now as we record this podcast? I am in the Jack and Jenny Wilborn media room here in research, or in the Valley Football Center, uh, about an arm's length away from the Jonathan Smith podium, so right in the middle of the action. So earlier on Wednesday, uh, you were in there for Jonathan Smith's um, press conference. Um, I, I love when our readers uh, comment on our message board. Hey, that, I, I remember Brendan asking some questions, you know, because you have a distinct voice with all the with with the podcast and the video interviews, and, and so people recognize your voice. So um, you were inside the valley um not only doing the jonathan smith uh, press conference but also some one-on-one interviews with um some good stuff uh the media had today meeting with some players and coaches and make sure to check this out on beaversedge.com we have videos um with brian lingren tim tibisar of course osu's two coordinators and then quarterbacks tristan jebbia and jake luton and outside linebacker addison gum so lots of good content on beaver's edge today um and make sure to check out from wednesday night um brendan's signing day notebook we have um some really cool stuff a story on jake cookus and in-state recruiting uh, as well as a story from mitchell manji um about just a kind of a skill position outlook um on the offensive side of the ball with jebbia and Lindsay and their connection going back to their time at nebraska and and being on the scout team this past fall so lots of good stuff exciting times at beaversedge.com but let's go to wednesday um Brendan, what was kind of the vibe around uh, the Valley on Wednesday? You know, so many coaches. I know you guys got to meet uh, Blue Adams as well, and I want to hear your thoughts about him. But first, just general impressions of the time the media had with the Oregon State players and coaches. Well, I, I think it was really, um, you know, the the vibe was good. You know, I, I found that the time that we had before the Jonathan Smith press conference to talk to, all, you know, basically almost uh, a handful of players and um, coaches, it was really informal in the way that kind of just everyone just kind of scattered around and got whoever they wanted. And it was nice to be able to talk to um, these players in a more relaxed environment and get them, you know, where it's kind of a, a bit more open and not quite the full media scrum around everyone. So it was nice to get to know, um, you know, players like Tristan Jebbia and Addison Gums on a more personal basis. First and, time we've got know, to talk to those two guys, right? Yes, first time we've gotten to talk to Jebbia and Addison as, as well. So it's been it was nice to get be able to put names to faces and put faces to personalities and all those kind of things that go go along with it. Um, and to see, you know, everyone's happy, you know, it's kind of like a, it's a new, it's a new season coming through and, you know, it's, and it's kind of nice to know that Oregon state's got spring football on the horizon. Um, the Jonathan Smith press conference was really good too. You know, there wasn't a, a ton within today's signing class other than the, 
um, the three scholarship guys that he really dove deep, too deep into since Oregon State has a whole bunch of preferred walk-ons, but he talked about, you know, things like the transfer portal, things like um, uh, when spring practice is going to start, where they're going to go. So it was almost just kind of like a, like a, here's what's going on, like a, a state of Oregon State football. That's how I felt at the press conference was today. Not so much signing, but it was like a, yeah. a state of Oregon State football. And Jonathan Smith just kind of gave us a quick little 15, 20-minute rundown and let us know what's up, what's going in, his thoughts on this, his thoughts on that. And, um, yeah, it was just a very informative day. Got lots of great content. We're going to have a lot of Oregon State football stories coming up for Beaver's Edge in the next month. Yeah, definitely good stuff. Um, some Nick Dashell over at the O was asking uh, Smith some some pressing questions. Brendan, I was texting you as I was live streaming the uh, the press conference. I thought Nick, <laughs> you know, I think Nick was asking about that transfer portal and was kind of getting at Smith a little bit. And Smith is kind of laughing about saying, "Yeah, you know, we." left ourselves maybe a spot for uh, uh, someone who is in the transfer portal or, or may land in the transfer portal. Smith mentioned Key Wetzel is going to get an opportunity to sp- place in the secondary. Um, yep. You know, uh, some guy named Mike Singer actually tweeted out <laughs> early in January that that was going to happen, but, you know, that's unbeknownst to me. Um, we, we learned that Calvin Tyler and Simon Sandberg – are going to be out for spring ball. We we knew about Sandberg, but um, the fact that Tyler, um, which, which is not a surprise because he was out all of last season, but you know it's a you know a little disappointing, but absolutely understandable that he's out, still recovering from his it was a knee injury. Was it an ACL? Yes, it was a torn ACL. And I think Sandberg's was an ACL. It was at least just I know it was a knee injury. I think it was an ACL, and of course Gums. I- um, yep, three three players with ACLs recovering. So, right, so you know that's that that that's a year long recovery process. I mean, yeah. it, it it takes a while, and you know you think about Tyler and um, I'm not exactly sure on when Sandberg had his surgery, but you know Tyler and Gums both had theirs in August. I think Sandberg's tore his in August. So. So, so you know, going on the you know the typical timeline for a torn ACL, you'd expect those guys to be right about 100% by the time fall camp comes around. So, you know, they'll miss spring. But I mean, only to have three guys not playing in spring, yeah. uh, that that's big for depth, for um, you know, lining up, you know, everything. It helps in a lot of different ways. So let's run through the signees. So Oregon State signed four scholarship players. You have. Um, Thomas uh, Cio, or I believe it would be pronounced Cio, maybe Sio, I don't know. From Anchorage, Alaska, six foot four, um, I think 320, 330 uh, offensive lineman. As we record this, Paul, and I'm going to butcher his last name, uh, Paul Matevo Payai, something like along those lines. He's a right guard um, from California. He has not announced his decision as of the time we were recording this, but I'm gonna just go ahead and assume that he's picking Baylor and or maybe Kansas and not Oregon State. Um, and Oregon State taking CEO was kind of the reaction of the Beavs not getting Paul. That was kind of the understanding I had. So. Um, Wasio is maybe the backup. He's definitely not a bad backup plan. I think if he was playing in California, I think he'd have a lot more offers um, than he does right now, um, which was just Oregon State, which he landed on Tuesday. So I like that pickup. Um, I, I uh, think Akili Arnold is a underrated prospect from California, can, can play on both sides of the ball. And personally, I love a prospect who... Um, 
can play receiver, he can play nickel, he can play corner, he can play safety, he has versatility, so um, if he doesn't work out at one spot, he can move over to a different spot that he's already played and can be successful at. Uh, moving along, you got Jacob Frenzy, six foot five, two hundred eighty-three pounds from North Bend. Um, Smith actually didn't mention Frenzy when he was talking about the guys. I don't know if that was just kind of a oversight or if he didn't mention Frenzy because he's not joining the team this fall. He's a gray shirt, which means his eligibility clock will start ticking in January of 2020 when he joins the team. And Jim Halchek talked about this in his uh, video. Um, breaking down Frenzy, which Oregon State posted on their Twitter account, saying that Frenzy is only 17, so he's got a lot of time to grow into his body and, and really fill out. So Frenzy taking gray shirt made a lot of sense. And last but certainly not least is James Rawls. Um, his uncle played left tackle for Jonathan Smith back in the um, the Dennis Erickson, Jonathan Smith 2001 season. Um, so... Uh, he's got the family connections there. I believe he also had a grandma that went to Oregon State too. So um, James Rawls, six foot four, two hundred sixty-five pound defensive end. These are the rivals height and weights. By the way, I should have the Oregon State ones they announced, but I don't have those in front of me right now. So those are I the four. I'd like to look at them. Mike. It's, it's okay, Brendan. It's okay. Uh, we're just gonna get along here. Um, and, and then Oregon State announced. Let's see how many walk-ons. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight walk-ons. And I bl- they had a few other um, walk-on commitments that Oregon State did not announce. Maybe by the time this podcast is posted, Oregon State will have announced those guys like Jeffrey Nelson and, and uh, Espinosa, I believe, from Clackamas. Just, some, just a few other guys um, that you know we can expect to see um, potentially here soon. So... Um, those are the new signees today. Um, Oregon State, if you go at Rivals, um, you know, BeaversEdge.com, Oregon State's Rivals commitment list says 19 commitments, number 63 in the country, which is not very good, ranks last in the Pac-12. But what people, again, need to understand is the transfers make up such a key part of the class. I agree with... Um, whoever wants to to uh, bash this class, saying it's it's not going to compete well in the Pac-12, but you have to remember Tristan Jebbia and Addison Gums and Avery Roberts and Tyjon Lindsey. Those guys are going to be very good right away. And Oregon State is a developmental program. It it just is. Like Oregon State has to recruit some of these hidden gems and like a Tomasio or an overlooked prospect, maybe like a Keely Arnold and someone like Rob Vanderlyn, who has a really high ceiling and Luke Musgrave, who has a really high ceiling and, you know, and then they have to win some recruiting battles like they did with Evan Bennett um, and Omar Spates and Winston Russell, some guys that are maybe a little highly, a little bit more highly recruited. So Oregon State has to do a little bit of all of it, but uh, number one is... The Beavers have to um, find some key uh, under-the-radar prospects that they can develop. Um, but, yeah, Brendan, any, any comments? Yeah, I mean, you know, when, when it when it comes down to the, the recruiting class itself is, you know, I mean, uh, right, from from first look, right, what, what did you say it was, Mike, 62nd? Was that correct? You said 60, 63rd uh, as of... 
um, 419 on Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. So 63rd, right? And that obviously doesn't include the the transfers. And we've had this. We've you know we've kind of talked about this a couple different times. And um, you know I, I don't I, I'm I'm a firm believer that you know it, it, it's a two part process. You need to find kids that fit your fit your program, and then you need to to develop them once they're here. And I think Oregon State has really great developmental coaches in place right now, uh, particularly with Brian Lindgren and Tim Tibisar, not to and uh, along with their support staffers as well in the position groups. But the Beavers as a whole, you know, like you said, they're a developmental program that needs to find those hidden gems, and they need some of those hidden gems to pay off for them to have, you know, sustained success. And, you know, and occasionally you get the big guys. I mean, you look at, you know, today, today was the first time that I got a chance to see uh, Addison Gums, uh, you know, right up in person. He is a big, big guy that looks like he should be playing in a huge conference like the SEC, Big 12. He went to Oklahoma. He looks like a guy you'd expect to see in Oklahoma. Oregon State doesn't get too many of those kind of guys that are that, you know, big game changers. And, and Gums is one of those guys. Tristan Jebbia, another game-changing kind of a guy. Tyjon Lindsay, another game-changing guy. Avery Roberts, the defensive guys we talked about today, couldn't stop lauding Avery Roberts for how well he's done in the offseason. So you add all those pieces in, and then, you know, uh, also considering that the Beavers are going to get Nathan Eldridge, who, you know, could also pile into that recruiting class if the you know all the numbers worked he's a very sought after center grad transfer that they'll have as well so i don't worry too much about the number obviously for the purposes of class rankings and whatnot you have to look at the number but i think oregon state put together a solid class with the players that they want and players that want to be in corvallis and want to build up the program and you know that's that's really all you can ask for from a second-year head coach recruiting off of a 2-10 and season. Yeah, 100% accurate, Brian. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, the recruiting recruiting writer over at the Oregonian likes to, to bash Oregon State, um, and I, I think that he needs to hear what you're saying because it's you got to look at this in context. Again, if it was, you're, you're looking at this class as you know these guys um, are not like Oregon State's taking guys to help out in the long term. Like if Oregon State needed, um, let, let's say Ryan Frankie and Corey Stover to play this fall, it might not work out because they are like edge players who don't even weigh 230 pounds. So um, th- those aren't the the players that are going to play right away. Um, Brendan, you're you're a Patriots fan. If <laughs> if um. If Tom Brady, you just, you just have to throw that out there, don't you, Mike? If Tom to, Brady didn't play for the Patriots, would they be a Super Bowl team? Would they be even a playoff team? Ooh, you're gonna put me on the spot. And after this last Super Bowl, um, I, I, I do, I do think All because right, it was more rhetorical, Brendan. I don't need your answer. Oh, oh, I see. I see. <laughs> That's okay. They're they're not as good as a team without Tom Brady, right? I just think yeah. that when you have a really good quarterback, and maybe this doesn't translate as well to or this uh, comparison maybe doesn't translate as well to the college game as does the NFL. But when you have that really good quarterback, it can mask a lot of problems. Now, granted, if you have a bad offensive line and Tristan Jebbia or Jake Luton um, can't stay upright and they're getting injured, then that's a different discussion. Oregon State's pass blocking is going to have to get better. But, well, a great a great example of that and masking pro- just real quick is I think back to when uh, to when Jared Goff was at Cal for three years. Um, the Cal teams that were around Jared Goff were not very good, 
like at all. And by his junior year, he got him to a bowl game. And right, we see where Jared Goff is now. And Cal, you know, ended up firing their coach, I believe, a year a year later or two years later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're right. A, a great quarterback can mask a lot of problems because they can put a lot of that weight on their shoulders. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. So, I, again, I think that th- getting those four transfers has more weight in looking at or, – or five. Let's throw in Eldridge because he's going to start at center. So this is a class when you throw in the the – Josh Bocut and Josh Gray. This is a class of what 25, 26, can't remember scholarship. I think those four or five weigh more than the rest of them combined. Like these five weigh more than these 20 in terms of impact. I think that that's how highly I think of the transfers. So when, Brendan, when you did a little interview with me back in late December, what grade did I give this class? I believe it was an A. It was an A, and I still feel the same. I have my reservations about this class, though, and I am excited to write an article that I'm going to title The Good and the Bad of Oregon State's 2019 class. I will not pull any punches, and I will give my um, unfiltered, Eh, maybe filtered a little bit, but mostly unfiltered thoughts on this class and and some of the concerns I have on it. But um, and that'll probably be published next week, so make sure to check that out. So yeah, I, I've got my concerns with it. I um, don't love some of the things that ended up unfolding for Oregon State, but Tristan Jebbia, Tyjon Lindsay, Addison Gums, Avery Roberts, the Beavers got much better in the passing game. Um, and it's very important to be able to throw the ball in the Pac-12, and Oregon State should be better in their front seven with Roberts and, and Gums, and I think Oregon State's front seven is going to be a lot better. Um, the biggest question I still have with this team is the offensive line, and it, and it worries me a bit, but I think the defense is going to be better. Oregon State's skill players with Jamar Jefferson and Artavis Pierce and Isaiah Hodgins and Tyjon Lindsey and Trayvon Bradford is looking pretty good. Noah Tongiai, like it's a it's a good looking group of skill players on offense. The defense um, should be better. I mean, it was horrifically bad last yeah. season, but it should be much better of a unit. And and Brendan, I know you talked to Tim Tibisar about that in your signing day notebook. Um, so it should be a, a decent team. Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm worried about the line a little bit. Hopefully Gus Lavaca and Blake Brandle um, can take the next step, and Nathan Eldridge will help a lot. And then maybe um, Kipper or Jake Levengood um, landed starting roles as well. We'll have to see. But, you know, there, there's a lot to like moving forward, and uh, I think we'll learn a lot about this team in spring ball. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. And, you know, you talked to – you know, you can definitely read up on the signing day notebook. Lots of good stuff from from Tibisar, you know, just kind of talking about what he expects to be a dramatically improved defense. His words, not mine. And, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, it's going to be really exciting to see what this team looks like now when they get back on the field because we see all these things. Now we need to see how, the how you know, all the pieces of the puzzle sit together. Because we're talking on paper, how things look on paper. But, yeah, yeah we need to see it in, in action. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's going to be interesting because, you know, the last couple of years, you know, you look at, um, you know, a guy like Isaiah Hodgins had outstanding chemistry with, you know, a guy like Jake Luton. 
how's how's he gonna adjust to having to you know work with Tristan Jebbia? Will Jebbia and and Tyjon Lindsay have a connection that Luton and Lindsay couldn't necessarily? At Luton and Hodgins, maybe you know all the little pieces, all those things. I'm, ex- I mean, well, they got 15 practices uh, between March and April, and it's going to be so exciting to see because now that there's depth, the, the 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 year zero, year one, whatever you call it, is behind them, and now there's some real potential. So you're like, okay, this Oregon State team could be, could be decent. They're going to a bowl. I'm calling it right now. <laughs> All right, maybe not. I think it's 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 entirely possible that as we're recording this, Jonathan Smith may have heard you from upstairs in his office. <laughs> oh, good vibes only. I like it. Yeah. Um. I mean, this year maybe uh, our, our projection is somewhere between three and five wins, but that twenty twenty season, that's year three. We saw what Gary Anderson could do with a year three. I think Jonathan Smith can do a little bit better. Well, yeah. Well, year three was when Gary Anderson walked out. So, um, you know, I mean, anyone should be able to do better than that, that right? And that was part of the joke there, Brendan. Pulling over your head a little bit. Whoosh. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else to add on National Signing Day? I'm kind of thinking out loud here. What um, are your so real quick, Mike? What are your thoughts on uh, on Jackson Christ getting another quarterback back mm. in the mix? What do you know about Mr. Christ and yeah. do you? And just give me, I don't know too much about him, but I mean, he's, you know, uh, a quarterback and, you know, with Oregon State, you know, only having Jebbia, you know, and Luton and Luton obviously having his last year and the Beavers not having a, a necessarily young guy coming in um, mm-hmm. right away. What do you, you know, do you think he could move up the pecking order of, you know, the Willards and the Nick Moores and, you know, maybe fight behind Coletto a little bit? I, I like, this is a good question, Brendan. I like it. So a couple things. First, let's let's just talk Jackson Christ. So his uncle is Paul Christ, who of course was Jonathan Smith's offensive coordinator um, way back in the day. And that Christ family just breeds uh, coaches <laughs> and yeah, football and and uh, and college football players and and all that good stuff. Um, I think he even has another uncle that was like the commissioner for like the Mac or something like that back in the wow. day. So just, just football is in that family. Um, Jackson had a couple of offers. I think UMass even offered him in December. But Jackson basically told me, um, and, and uh, this isn't even paraphrase. this is just my interpretation of it, is like money's not really a problem. Like I can walk on to Oregon State. Like I don't need to, to get a scholarship. Like I believe in my talents – and money's not a problem. I can go walk on at Oregon State. All that's all power to him. That's awesome stuff. So um, he he thinks that he can play at the Power Five level. He got his opportunity. Um, his dad is even was an NFL coach, or maybe still is. Um, and I, I I don't have his Wikipedia pulled up in front of me, but um, he told me that his dad goes way back with Jonathan. Obviously, his uncle goes way back with with Coach Smith as well. Um, so he's got those ties to Oregon State as far as him as a player. Um, I saw his tape. Looks pretty decent from um, from Northern California. Um, you know, maybe doesn't have the quickest release. You know, maybe not the greatest arm strength, but. Someone I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing about as we get into fall camp later this year, which I'm sure will be, um, it feels like it's a while away, but it's, it'll be right here before you know it, the way time flies. But So yeah, Jackson Christ, I think he's a decent player. As far as 
his fit in Oregon State's quarterback situation. I think he's as good as a walk-on as you'll find. Um, like, it's not an easy thing to find really good walk-ons, but Oregon State has been doing that with this recruiting cycle. It's pretty amazing. Um, I can count three preferred work on, excuse me, three preferred walk-ons that Oregon State landed uh, that had other offers. Um, with Jackson Cloyd being another one who's a really good-looking prospect, um, and of course um, Jackson Crisp. But can he surpass an Aiden Willard? Yeah, I think so. I don't think Aiden Willard's panned out too great. Um, I don't have anything bad to say about the young man, but I just think he's been buried a little bit, and I, I don't know if Hull ever start a game for Oregon State. Um, hope I'm wrong, and maybe he takes this as bulletin board material. I don't know. But um, could, could he pass Nick Moore? Yeah, I think so. Um, but, I mean, heck, Jonathan Smith has said some really good things about Nick Moore. Um, I, I don't think... Chris would pass Coletto, but um, I think Coletto's a um, better player than he's given credit for, and I think he was kind of thrown into the fire this season. Um, I think he would have kind of been better off taking a red shirt and really learning. I think people are sleeping on Jack Coletto. I don't. Uh, I'm I agree. Not. I'm not. I think he can be. You know, he's he's got the mobility. Um, I think he's kind of built really well, and he's not going to get injured. Knock on wood. Yep. Um, so. I think Jackson Chris was a good addition, but Oregon State did not take a 2019 quarterback other than, of course, what we've talked about before, getting Jake Luton a sixth year is basically like having a grad transfer quarterback, and having Tristan Jebbia in is basically like having a, a new junior college quarterback because he's a three for three. So, um, But in the class of 2020, Oregon State, in my opinion, absolutely needs to get a quarterback and uh, maybe even a second high school quarterback. Yeah, no, I, I agree because you have to start looking for the future. And, you know, you, regardless, it's like after this year, Luton will be out of his eligibility. And, you know, you've only got potentially, you know, a, a, you know at most three guaranteed years out of out of Tristan Jibia if, if he ends up, you know, working out like we all think he's going to. But, um, you know, having Luton back is nice insurance this year. But beyond that, you know, you, you start looking to what's, you know, coming up in the ranks and there isn't much consistency coming up in the ranks for Oregon State quarterback so you know getting that quarterback next year will be a huge priority in that recruiting well, well, class here's no a, doubt. Here's I disagree with you Brendan you said Jake Luton won't have eligibility after the season sources have told me that Jake Luton is in line for a seventh year of eligibility <laughs> no, I'm just kidding just kidding yeah no I was gonna say oh man he'd be 25 and still <laughs> Okay. No, All Jake's right. Jake's a great guy. Jake's a great guy. Oh, love Jake Luton. I've, I'd like to say I've been one of Jake's biggest supporters, but it's rather here nor there. Um, men's basketball team with a big road sweep, first time in a long time, and then winnable games this week versus Stanford versus California, two of the worst teams in the Pac-12, and then they get the the Ducks at home although the Ducks will probably have a little bit more firepower than when the Bees face them in Eugene. so But let's just put on the orange color glasses, say Oregon State gets the next three wins. Then they're looking at 17-7 and and 9-3 and in conference. And then we're talking, okay, Oregon State could actually make the Pac-12, or not, obviously they're going to make the Pac-12 tournament. Maybe they could make the NCAA tournament. 
Hey, you know, honestly, I, I just gotta say, I remember when I when I when I wrote a story here for Beaver's Edge. It was a couple weeks ago. I think it was after um, the Beavers lost to, I want to say Kent State. And I wrote in my recap story, I think it was my Monday notebook, that I said, well, a path still exists for Oregon State to make the tournament. And some of our subs weren't hearing much of it. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to hold this opinion, and I'm going to hold it, I'm going to hold it. And now Oregon State's kind of caught up a little bit. And to be honest, I don't, you know, it's a, it's a slim chance, but the, but the path to the NCAA tournament exists for the Oregon State basketball team because Trace Tinkle, if the Beavers keep winning, he's going to win Pac-12 Player of the Year. Um, you know, in terms of the stats, I don't think anyone in the Pac-12 can really compete as long as the team's success is there. Yeah, he's been amazing. And, and when and when you have a player like that, you always give your ch- give yourself a chance to win, and you always give yourself a chance to play deep into March. And granted, right now with where Oregon State's net ranking is, I believe it's in the either high 70s or low 60s. Uh, or high 60s, low 70s, excuse me. Um, not entirely sure there, but they need to keep winning games because the Pac-12, for what it is worth, is weak this year. There's not as much opportunity to get that net ranking up into where you'd like it to be for an at-large bid, which is in the 40s, 50s, at the very, very lowest. So, you know, Oregon State's still got to play some better teams on the road. they got to play Washington, UCLA, USC on the road later in the season. Those are critical games, and um, you know, Oregon State got you know smacked around by Washington when they came to Gill Coliseum, and if somehow Oregon State could play Washington really close on the road or somehow pull that off, that would be um, a huge uh, thing to see for the committee. But the Beavers need to keep winning. That's the only thing they can do at this point because wins will help that number go up. Right, but I'm excited, excited let, for the next couple weeks. Let's let's go through the schedule. So Oregon State's fourteen seven right now. I think we would both agree they have to beat Stanford and Cal at home. Yep, I think they'll sweep. Um, and then they have Oregon. So let's just play it. Let's just play it safe as we as we kind of predict Oregon State's schedule from here on out. Let's say this stretch of um, Stanford tonight, Cal and Oregon. Let's say they get two of three. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think that's a fair assumption. Maybe I, I think they should be able to get all three, but let's just say they, they trip against Oregon or, or fall against Stanford. There's no way any team should lose against Cal. No. Uh, so that would put Oregon State at 16-8. and eight. And then they go at UCLA, at USC, I think probably split. Oregon State beat both of those teams at home, but I think they'd probably split, right, on the yeah, road? And, yep, a split would be what is needed for sure. So then you're at seven – or. Wait, 17 and 9? Yep. All right, I'm going to need you to keep up with me on the math here. <laughs> you got it. And then you got the Arizona schools. Probably another split. Yeah, but you know, if you're if you're talking NCAA tournament, you know, like wanting to make the NCAA tournament, that's probably a weekend that you're going to have to sweep, uh, I would guess. Uh, I don't know if they can, but I think that's a weekend where you're going to be absolutely probably needing a sweep to get a little bit more mojo on your side and try to get to that 20 win plateau before if they can get to that 20 win plateau or real close before the pac-12 tournament and then win maybe two games i think that would be enough for them to get in so i think realistically though they split the arizona schools and then you're at 18 and 10 and then the at the washington schools again probably a split right so then you're at 20 and 11 Um, heading into the wait, twenty eleven or nineteen eleven? Did I just mess up my math? Nine, up? Nineteen and eleven. Nineteen, 19 and eleven. So 
they're right around that 20 win mark and then i think if they win two pac 12 tournament games then maybe but i do think that at washington game cuz washington's really the only respectable um getting a road win at washington is going to be their most respectable win on that's their resume yeah. booster. You have to get. I think in the Pac-12, people look at Washington, and then they, it's everybody else just kind of stinks. Like from an outside looking in, which I understand that. So getting a road win at Washington would be a, a really quality win. So I do think. Here we go. If Oregon State's going to make the NCAA tournament, they have to win at Washington. Ooh, I like. You know, I, you see, I still think. I think. Uh, I, I get where you're coming from for sure. I think if Oregon State can win their next three. Right, they take care of business against Stanford, Cal, beat Oregon, and then they drop a total of two games um, between the two road series. Right, they split on both road series, and they, you know, uh, for what it's worth, quadrant-wise, Arizona still has a solid um, net ranking given the non-conference they've played. Same with Arizona State was also ranked this year, so those two teams carry weight. I think, I think for me, it's I don't think you have to beat Washington on the road. I think you have to not lose at home for the rest of the way. Mm, okay, and, and make some noise in the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, that's what I would. Because I, th- I, you know, going into uh, S- Seattle and trying to beat the Huskies on their home floor, um, that is monumental, very monumental. And uh, not to say that it can't happen, but I think Arizona, Arizona State at home, winnable this year. Stanford, yeah. Cal, winnable. Oregon, winnable. Um, you know, and then I believe that, and then you know, Washington State. You know, you'll get that one on the road, you would assume, and then. Um, uh, games against UCLA, USC, UCLA, st- and USC both still decent quadrant teams ahead of Oregon State. So any teams that are ahead of you in those net rankings, you got to knock them off. So Oregon State might finish the regular season right around 19 wins. A team that already has 19 wins is the Oregon State women's basketball program, and they are on a roll. Four straight wins, but this Friday. 6 p.m. Pac-12 Networks at Stanford, top 10 matchup. It's going to be a big one for Oregon State. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, every time Oregon State plays Stanford, it's it's always exciting. And, you know, n- not to uh, also just wait from Cal, who beat Stanford last week. So it's a very tough road trip down to the Bay this week. Uh, Beavers obviously open up on Friday night against Stanford. They split with Cal last week. Um the Beavers, you know, beat Stanford in Palo Alto two years ago. That was the last time they were there. Um, it was that was a very, very fun, special game to watch from Sydney Weiss, Marie Gulich, and Michaela Pivik as a freshman. Then, so uh, it can be done. But that was the only time in history Oregon State has won in Palo Alto. So history is not on their side. But um, you know, I, I think it's going to come down to if Oregon State um, can get enough good looks. Uh, against Stanford's defense because Stanford, like Oregon State, they win with defense. And you got two defensive juggernauts going at each other this weekend. So it's going to be exciting to see how it shakes out, but uh, I think the Beavs have a solid chance. So at 19-3 and right now, 9-1 and in conference, let's run through the remaining schedule um, for Scott Ruick's squad. you got at Stanford, at Cal, at Oregon three days later, versus Oregon at home. And you get UCLA and USC in reverse reverse order uh, in Gill, and then finish out the season at the Arizona schools. What's a, a what's kind of your prediction there? You got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games. 
um, and uh, four um, of your eight there are, are actually five of the eight are on the road. My prediction would be six and two. That might be. I mean, this is a really tough stretch, so it might be five and three. Um, I, I would say they uh, split Stanford, Cal, and then split with the Oregon schools, and then finish. Or, I'm sorry, the Oregon schools. They split with Oregon, and then sweep the LA schools and the Arizona schools. That would be my thought. What's yours, Brendan? Yeah, pretty much the same. Uh, I think every. I think. Um... Every game on the schedule is certainly winnable. I think this road trip this week, uh, I think you know it's really hard to predict. I could see them beating both Stanford and Cal. I could see them losing one of the two games. Um, but you know, I, I, as far as Oregon goes, um, man, I mean, yeah, they're good. You know, not not to not to make this a duck podcast, but the Ducks are really, really, really good. And beating them in Matthew Knight Arena with this team already shorthanded without you know, if they had Cat Tudor. Believe me, that's uh, you'd be surprised how much one player can Oregon be the was difference. really good last year, and the and the Beavs beat him at home. Yeah, and Cat Tudor had seven three pointers. Okay, so I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, it's 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 you know, it, you know, Cat Tudor really stretches that's out a that great memory there, Brendan. I'm impressed. Hey, you know, you you never forget those great games, and that one in Gill Coliseum was it was, one of the one and it was still a really close game, and Oregon oh. State had to pull that one out late, even but though Tudor was playing so the, great. The thing about that weekend that I remember the most is that Oregon State played them on Friday, right? And they played really, really well. And then they went to Eugene on Sunday, and it was curb stomped. Quite the opposite. Yeah. So I would expect Oregon State has a great chance to win in Gill Coliseum. Maybe not quite the same in Matthew Knight. So uh, you said they have eight games left. I could see them going six and two. I really could. I think they maybe drop one game there, drop one game to the Ducks, and beat the ducks at home i think i think six and two would be a really good really good finish and um that would make them you know probably a number two seed maybe even higher than the number three that they're projected right now in the in the tournament and you know we know they're going to have a, a, as good a chance as any uh to be in that pac-12 championship or real close to the tournament as well so that's some uh basketball talk um and then brendan eight days <sighs> from Oregon State baseball. It's crazy with, with Oregon State. Obviously, f- football is king. Like If you tell me that there's more interest in Oregon State baseball than there is football, you're just wrong. Um, sorry. But there's still a great interest in basketball, both men's and women's, and baseball is beloved. I mean, there's four sports at Oregon State that people really care about, um, that Oregon State fans just really love. I don't know how many other Pac-12 schools have their fan base bought in with four programs. It's pretty amazing. Um, and then, of course, the defending national champs, Oregon State baseball team, um, back in the surprise for another year. Um, New Mexico, Gonzaga, Minnesota, Nebraska, some of the teams that Oregon State will be facing there. In surprise, Arizona, pitching um, is going to be fantastic for Oregon State. Got some some good returners in the infield and outfield, um, as well as some young up and comers that I feel like uh, will be very good for Oregon State. A- any general thoughts on the Oregon State baseball teams? Just a little crazy for you that it's only eight days until first pitch. 
you know, uh, I'm going to throw out a little bias right now. And biasly speaking, I am super thrilled to have, uh, you know, two Sherwood alums be the to be two of the three captains on this Oregon State baseball team. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, you look at, you know, I went, I go back to that, you know, that that media day press conference we had a, a few weeks ago. And, you know, myself, Mitch Manji were there. We both pumped out some good content from that day and it's just the the aura of confidence that pat bailey has um and adley rutschman has bryce femmel has zach taylor has this team has won a national championship they know what it's like to get to the very top how much work it takes to get to the very top and these guys want to do it again and you know it's it's very exciting to um you know, see this team get back together. It really seems like just yesterday, you know, Mike, you and I were talking about, you know, um, you know, the, the, the national championship celebrations that they had in Portland and Corvallis. And holy cow, that seems like just yesterday. But Dude, here that, they are. That, that video, did, oh, sorry, the video you got, we got, that was like our most watched YouTube video too. A lot of, a lot of fans wanted to see that. Oh, that was, that was one of the, you know, that was one of the, just as a, as a, you know, reporter and as a journalist, that was one of the most exciting days that I've ever had in the business, being able to watch a, a team that, you know, we've covered all the way through the uh, early times in February, all the way through the dog days in May and, you know, watching a team hoist a national championship um, is special. And it's something, you know, you'll never forget. And these kids will never forget. So, um, you know, that's going to be on their minds this year, wanting to defend their crown. Um, Pat Bailey is going to have them ready to go. Um, they're going to be focused. They're going to play the right way. And more than anything, it's, I'm just looking for consistency. And I think, you know, they'll have some holes to fill and they'll look a little bit different. But at this point, this team reloads, they don't rebuild. They just reload and get a heck of a lot better. Good stuff. Yeah. Even when they lose their coach, they just reload. <laughs> With an interim coach. No, no kidding, right? Yeah, definitely. Good stuff. Well, Brandon, appreciate you jumping on the podcast with me. And uh, for Oregon State fans, Beaver Nation, who uh, faithfully listen to this entire podcast, thank you so much. Um, always love hearing from you guys. Sometimes at the end of the podcast, I'll be like, hey, if you listen to this whole thing, email me at beaversedgeone at gmail.com. And I will get emails, and it, it, it makes my day with people um, saying they enjoyed uh, me fumbling through my words for, for 40 minutes. So, um, again, Brendan, thank you for joining me. Uh, it's been a while since we've done a podcast. I think it's been maybe three weeks or so. Um, but we're back, and I'm excited to do more of these as we um, talk basketball and baseball, as we really um, get into the thick of those schedules. Um, so, fun times ahead here at BeaversEdge.com. Mike Singer, Brendan Slaughter, signing off. Until next time.